And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We have a loaded episode today. We have a special guest. New Illinois head coach Brett Bielema, who's always a lot of fun and very interesting to hear from. We're going to have him join us. Also, we're going to dive into Stu's new head coaching grade. Stu, are you looking forward to explaining your rationale? Yeah, you've been bringing this up for like two weeks now. I didn't think they were particularly controversial this year, but I look forward to finding out who you're going to debate me on. They're not controversial. I just think it's a it's a it's a ripe topic to kick around. I think there's some stuff that that um, our listeners would appreciate hearing. Also, we have some really good questions in the mailbag, and it's good just to talk some college football again, Stu. Now that you're back from your vacation, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm bringing my A game this week. Let's get to our guest. All right, Stu, now we are pleased to be joined by our guest. He is the new coach uh, back in the Big Ten of the Illinois Fighting Illini, Brett Bielema. Brett, thanks for joining us today on The Audible. Thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. So, uh, I, I, Stu and I have both been pretty effusive in the hire. Obviously, you had a lot of success in the Big Ten, won three championships at Wisconsin. Um, I would ask, how do you feel like you are a different coach than the guy that people remembered back when you were winning championships with the Badgers? Well, no, just to be very blunt, right? So um, over time, you learn more, right? I always tell players when they enter a program, you only know what you know. Um, you have to be taught. You have to experience. You have to learn things. And, you know, during my uh, nine years in Wisconsin, seven years as a head coach, every day was a learning experience. And then obviously when I transitioned to Arkansas, new league, new uh, – New, new everything really. It's a, it's a different part of the country, obviously different administration, different fan base. Uh, everything was completely new. Um, I, th- I think the part that was, you know, probably lost in transition after Arkansas is we did a lot of really good things. We went to three straight bowl games, won two of those three over a five year window, uh, went to three out of five years a, you know, to a bowl game, did a tremendous amount of things or academically, but there were the things that caused the failure. Right. So, I think that was important for me to live through. I, I think as men, we always say this, you learn more in adversity than you do in success. And we had some adversity, especially in that last year, that I think is propelling me today to what we're going to be able to uh, you know, build and establish here at the University of Illinois. When you look back at that time, um, you know, why do you, as you, you know, have some distance now, why do you think it didn't work out? Because when you got there, I mean – First of all, people were surprised that you chose to leave Wisconsin for Arkansas. But at the time, you know, I mean, you you had any any number of reasons why you felt like that was the right place. Yes, yeah, so I think you know ma- mainly um, 
you know, as I look back on it, you know, is just to gather more information. One of the huge advantages I had at Wisconsin was I was in that building for two years as an assistant coach. And the last year, knowing that I was going to be the head coach with Coach Alvarez, included me in, in a variety of different academic uh, uh, media, uh, administration, uh, fan base, uh, a lot of things that I was made aware of before I became the head coach. So you really have a better understanding of all the, the, the positives that are in place, but more importantly, the things that you need to be aware of, the potholes, the potential landmines, the things that you weren't aware of before you got there. And then just to be in that league for several years as a player and an assistant coach at the University of Iowa, and then even though it was in the Big 12 to be under uh, Bill Snyder at Kansas State and know a lot of familiarities, it was it was a much easier transition at Wisconsin than it was at Arkansas. There were things three to four years into it that I would learn either about the league or, or um, just about life in Arkansas at the university that were different from what I was used to, and you had to adapt and adjust. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, those all steam-wheeled. Um, we had, again, a steady momentum, a build of, of a lot of wins, but uh, bottom line, you know, I was uh, – let go for one reason, didn't win enough games, and, and that hurt. Um, but it was also a part of what has made me establish into what I am today. So I'm very excited to get this this next opportunity, especially in a league that I know very well. Right. One of the things I, I remembered was hearing you back in those SEC media days in Hoover, and you had, you had talked a lot about the academic um, results you guys were getting. And I don't want to say this is across the board. You usually hear when it's going well on that front, it usually carries over. And year five, excuse me, was the year where it went in the other direction, at least on the field results. I'm curious, as, as you've looked back now at that point, were there things that you looked at and said, um, whether, whether it was a staffing decisions or how the locker room was handled? Because like, it wasn't like you went from like a smaller conference. You went from a big, big conference to another big conference. Now, maybe, you know, the recruiting um, – landscape is is different but when you drill down deeper because it wasn't like you were a first-time head coach what were the things that maybe you took away going hmm that's something that i know it's not going to work if i try to do that again yeah you know i I think the planning and the forecasting of your roster was a big part of it um you know it was my fifth year at wisconsin that i took over that we started a string of three straight big 10 titles and we were able to build that roster in a way that i knew it was coming even the year before we won 10 games. I knew we had a good team coming back. I felt really, really good about where that, that team was headed. Um, but I didn't really lose a lot. I think during my entire time at, at Wisconsin, I lost two juniors to the draft. One was J.J. Watt. I believe P.J. Hill was the only other one that left a little bit early. And uh, I remember, and those were over a, a, a number of years in between there, um, uh, during my third year, going into my fourth year at, uh, at Arkansas, we lost uh, uh, three juniors that uh, Honor Henry, uh, Alex Collins, and Denver Kirkland were all like really, really good players that we projected to come. You know, they just got too good too quick, and in the, and at least in my experience there, those those players exited the program early. That something really didn't happen at Wisconsin, even though we had a lot of high draft picks. So that was one thing that I really didn't see coming, and and was definitely an effect on our roster and our, our overall uh, strength at, at that point. And I would say the other thing is just. You know, at the point when I entered that SEC West, it was one of the most competitive leagues in, in history at that time. You know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State were better than they've ever been. Um, obviously, everybody knew about Alabama, LSU, uh, uh, and then obviously throwing A&M into the mix. So there was a lot of that there. Um, I, I think the part that I really try to concentrate on now is the hiccups I had there to make sure that we don't have those things here. 
in a, in a partnership with Josh that uh, here is our athletic director that has really been really fun because here's a guy that was not only our athletic director who played the game of football, but he played here at the University of Illinois. And to walk hand in hand with Josh right now is uh, for all the things away from the X's and O's has been a lot of fun. I think something that can really build upon. So the the Big Ten West didn't exist when you were the first time around, but you know, the divisions were starting up and at the end of the day, like the style of football you ran at Wisconsin, which I remember you vividly would call, refer to as real American football. Um, at this point, 10 years later, I feel like the only place left that where it still thrives is the Big Ten West, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Northwestern to some degree. Um, now you're back in that part of the country and in that division. Is your plan to bring that back, to bring that smash mouth Wisconsin style that, that we know, or are you at, like at a different point now in your, your philosophy? Yeah, Stuart, I think, you know, the um, comment on the past is obviously where it belongs. Uh, the, the past is behind us. I was able to have great success, but also had some failures. So I could try to concentrate on the future of where we're at. And that's why offensively, defensively, especially teams, why I kind of referred to it. Like I, I didn't want to bring in a bunch of guys that just laid down a playbook and said, this is what we're doing. What I want to do is what we have to do here at Illinois to win. So, you know, we want to get to know our roster. Right now we're currently in our fifth week of really understanding who our players are, getting a chance to be on the field with them a little bit, the rules the NCAA allows us to do. And then, of course, spring ball will be a big factor into it. So we want to have success as fast as we can. We don't want to skip a step. We don't want to jump to any end that, that's not there yet. But we want to have success now. And, you know, some of the grad transfers we brought in, regular transfers, the way we built the roster, we have an idea of what we have. But to get through spring ball will be the tall, uh, the tale of what we're actually going to be able to run. Um, offensively, I hired a guy, Tony Peterson, has been in a variety of different programs with a lot of different philosophies. He can build and mold to have success. Um, uh, Ryan Walters, who came from Missouri, uh, but had some experience with two different coaches there, has been in a, a, you know the Oklahoma production. He's been with Mike Stoops back at Arizona. He's been a lot of things that I've been close to uh, by, by association. So we're going to build the defensive playbook for what we have here at Illinois. I have three former defensive coordinators on the staff defensively, um, not only obviously Ryan Walters, but Andy Boo, who's been a defense coordinator in the Power Five in the Big Ten at Rutgers and Maryland, um, and then also uh, Kevin Kane, who comes as a fairly successful defensive coordinator at, at SMU, who gave up that title to come here and be a part of what we're doing. So I have a lot of experience on this staff, a lot of guys that are younger coaches but have been given authority and the ability to call plays within programs, and that's what I'm looking to bring here. Brad, I'm curious, when, when you went to the NFL, obviously you spent a couple of years on the Patriots staff with Coach Belichick. Um, I'm also, and you've been around a lot of great coaches, and I don't want to snub some of the college ones I'm going to mention, but the one that you were with Bill Snyder for a couple of years, and I'm yeah. curious, both guys, and I'm not saying they're they're identical because I, I feel like both are, are uh, guys that the media doesn't get to see a lot of, you know, in terms of behind the curtain, yet they uh, have remarkable success. So what were the things maybe you saw from Bill Belichick that either reminded you of some other coaches or what were the things that you felt like were pretty unique to those two particular coaches? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that uh, going to Coach Belichick first, it was just it was just an endless uh, uh, menu of football. Um, that's one thing the NFL does. You know, you obviously have a personnel department and you have a, you know, football coaches, but there isn't the recruiting aspect. You have the evaluation and selection, but that 
you know, recruiting in college football takes a larger majority of your time and you have to set aside that time deliberately. If you don't, you're not going to be able to get to where you need to be. So one big difference is, you know, the business side of professional football allows you to focus on just the execution of X's and O's and the selection of players in the draft or free agency. So become a lot more uh, specific and that's exactly what coach does. He's got a unique way of looking at things, a very clean um, and, and very well thought out. It doesn't get overly wordy or concentrated in the area that you don't need to go. So Bill was great about details. I mean, from everything from how the game is played to, to the execution of fundamentals and then obviously the, the drafting of personnel. Um, Coach Snyder, on the flip side, was you know one of those guys that was a meticulous de- detail. Um, we would do three scouting reports on an opponent in the fall before we ever got to, to the fall camp season or the fall game that we played. So uh, an endless preparation guy, uh, a guy, again, that looks at things very simplistic and, and pure. So – a lot of similarities. You know, I always say that before I went to the NFL, I worked for four, four Hall of Fame coaches, you know, Aiden Fry, who's already been there, Kirk Ferentz, who will be there when he, when he decides to let it go, Coach Snyder, who's already there, and Coach Alvarez, who've already been there. So I've been very blessed to be around the pedigree I've been in. Um, I take a little bit from each one of them. But, you know, Coach Snyder called me the first day I got the job at Wisconsin, and he said something I carried with me to this day. He said, hey, you've been around a lot of – a group of very talented coaches – but keep in mind the reason you got the job today because is because you're Brett Bielema. Um, it's it's okay to you know be like certain things that they've done and and remember what they've taught you, but you have to be yourself. And that would be the number one thing I would say during the years of success. I was being me, and when I got away from that um, or tried to emulate something I didn't necessarily know about or be about, um, that's when trouble hit. So I'm gonna definitely try to concentrate on just being the best Brett Bielema I can be. You've only been out of college coaching for three years, but in that time has come the transfer portal. Um, we believe the the transfer, you know, one time exception is coming here soon. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, because of COVID, we've gotten used to virtual recruiting. It just it seems like there's a lot has happened in the last three years. You know, what was it like to come back to that after uh, and kind of get up to speed on that after the NFL? Stuart, it's a great question, and the obvious ones are probably. The grad transfer popular. You know, I had Russell Wilson, so we were one of the first ones to really use it, capitalize it, and make some uh, make some uh, hay out of it. Uh, but also, just you know, even like the the, the the fair catch and the kickoff return game. I mean, that's a dramatic, simple thing, but it's a big effect on the game. Uh, you know, how much you practice or how much you emphasize uh, the return game and the kick kickoff game is is a huge part of the way we set up spring ball and fall camp. Um, I think the other thing that uh, has been Probably the biggest uh, uh, change for me just is is just the technology continues to evolve every year. You got to be ahead of the curve. This name, image, and likeness, this NIL is going to be a huge. And teams are already even the rules aren't in effect yet. Teams are already starting to recruit off of it and setting the agenda to what they're going to do. So it's a it's a landscape that evolves every day. I've kind of gone outside of the normal in the way I hired. Uh, a lot of you guys know Pat Pearson, uh, a coach, uh, an assistant that I worked with in the media. At Arkansas, he then went to Oregon, and we stayed taught in contact uh, uh, as friends. But also, when this opportunity came to Illinois, we created a position that brought him on our staff. So now I have a guy in our football meetings every day that has never coached a down of football, but he's been in media every day of his life, and is really good. And so to bring Pat into that fold, uh, I now actually have set up our personnel department. So much like professional football, in pro football, they have a college personnel director and a pro personnel director because – they're dealing with all the NFL teams players as well as the incoming uh, uh, draft class. 
I've set up our college person, our, our personnel department in twofold. Uh, the normal high school relations and, and the way we've traditionally always done in college football, then I've hired a college personnel director who came from the NFL that um, is going to specialize strictly on the transfer portal, uh, uh, one-time transfers, and also junior college transfers. So that landscape is completely different, and we're a little bit ahead of the curve on people on that one. Um, and then just also building the brand of our student-athletes. And Pat will actually will work with our high school student-athletes, bringing them aboard as, as committed players, and then officially being here as current roster, and then transitioning them into the NFL and beyond. So it's a, it's a, it's a really fun time, and I think if you got an AD like Josh Whitman, it's just going to allow you to continue to be ahead of where the others are at. That's really going to help us in the long run. Hey, following up on that, Brett, I was thinking, so when you were with the Giants this past year, that was a pretty, uh, there was a lot of former college coaches on that, on Joe Judge's staff. But I'm curious how much, because as you said, NFL life can be all-encompassing. How much were you keeping an eye on college opportunities, but what was going on, but also then the brainstorming of, okay, how do we get proactive on this front? Because one of the things I remembered back when you were at Arkansas, uh, there was a really well done behind the scenes, Bo Mattingly, who a lot of people in the SEC know, uh, it was an all access, but it not just showcase you, but it's certainly going to showcase your program. And I feel like there's a handful of other coaches who have kind of embraced what they can do on that front. So as you get into this landscape, how do you, you know, that expression, keep the main thing the main thing while it's football and everybody knows you as a football guy, right. um, you know, kind of uh, keep the main thing the main thing while also adapting to football in the 2021 and beyond time? Yeah, it's, it's Bruce, it's really on me as a head coach to, to have my ears open and my eyes open to new thoughts and ideas. Um, that's probably where I've grown the most. I know at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how am I a different coach now than I was in. And that's probably the biggest thing is, you know, I was in an era of that time in college football where you could kind of just put your head down, do what you do, recruit play people that fit your system and your style and just go out and execute. But especially now you're building something here at Illinois, you know, they haven't had a lot of winning over the last 20, 25 years. So how do we do it better here than the others? And uh, that's on me. You know, I would say that like that TV reality show, last thing I want to do is be on TV and reality show, believe me. All right. But what it did do, it allowed me to reach a target audience that I had never really targeted before. Uh, parents of, of, of potential student athletes, just general people in, in uh, uh, social media that saw the side of our program that they liked, you know, and um, I think we got to capitalize on those moments. I think we can't underestimate the power of social media. Uh, that's currently existing, but also figure out what's coming down the road. Uh, that's why, Pat, I, I made more changes, you know, in in the football world. I knew I was going to get to hire 10 football coaches. I can do that. My history has shown I've been able to hire really good coaches who not only become uh, good coordinators and become good head coaches, they, they get a chance to grow in college football all the time. I really concentrated on these off-the-field positions, um, positions that are affecting our guys on a daily basis, on platforms that I have no idea. I don't have a great idea about how to run or manage, but um, that's what has really been probably the changing point for me is just to be a lot more aware of things outside of the game that can affect your recruiting efforts. I'm curious just to follow circle back on 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 what you said about. So Pat Pearson, for for people who don't know, you know, worked in media relations. He, you know, you, or you might hear the term SID. Um, you know, arranges interviews uh, for the coaches, the players. So this is the first I've heard of somebody bringing somebody like that in 
you're, I think you're saying to help with the NIL uh, component of it. Um, we've, we've heard of coaches in general, we, we're hearing of a lot of coaches who are really nervous about NIL and how this is going to change the sport. And it's, this sounds like the opposite, you know, like what, what, where did that idea come from and, and how do you see it helping your players? Well, um, one of the things that probably I've learned over the last three years, especially being out of it, um, how prior relationships can help you in the future, right? So Pat and I struck up a relationship at Arkansas when he became our, our athletic communication director, uh, was intrigued with his past. You know, he worked with Florida Gulf Coast when they had that rise uh, on the basketball side of things, and he promoted all the things that were with that. Um, and then he came and, and started working with our basketball program. And Mike Anderson, who's a phenomenal basketball coach, who's having great success uh, now at his new opportunity, he and I both talked about how Pat kind of always thought ahead of the curve, you know, with dealing with the media, giving players relationships, giving them uh, coaching points on how to handle certain situations, both success and failure. So I became really impressed with Pat on just how he thought about things outside of the box. And then when I transitioned in, uh, out of uh, Arkansas, I stayed with him. Even though I was in the NFL, I always kind of thought I'd probably cross paths with him. Um, he, he actually interviewed for a couple jobs outside of Oregon where I knew head coaches, uh, uh, you know, some independents and some other schools that, he would interview with, and I'm like, listen, this is what you're getting. You're getting a guy that thinks ahead of the curve, uh, thinks outside of the box, and players love him. So that's what I wanted to bring. So I, when I had this opportunity here at Illinois, I asked him to join a board, and we kind of worked on the job description together. I created a new position for him. He sat down and interviewed, I believe, 10 to 15 of our – so he sits down and interviews every one of our players because he wasn't on the front end of it, all right? So on the front end, he will meet with all of our recruits, all our signees, help them to establish what their brand is and help them build that while they're here. It's coming. It's already here. Uh, as much as I used to hate the Twitter world and uh, all the other things that go along with it, you have to embrace it and love it up. And uh, it's been fun for me to grow with that. Um, but also some people around them, you know, we brought in a, a lot more people into the um, recruiting and, and uh, uh, personnel department and set it up like an NFL team. You know, even when you travel on the road, you know, at 70, you're really kind of in that same ballpark. When we're on the road in the NFL, you're traveling with 53, you know, uh, 53, sometimes a little bit bigger number. So it's a number that's pretty close and comparable to set up your roster on game day that it is to the NFL. And that's, and what do kids all want to hear? The NFL. So we can set up some, um, one of the things they do in the NFL, they're comparison oriented, right? So you got a defensive lineman. Well, who does he play like? Is he a little more J.J. Watt or is he a, a little more this? Whoever it is. And that's what we'll do. We'll build comparisons with our current roster. So when they get a chance to go to the next level, we can market them like this is who he is. Same thing with a high school kid. Bring him aboard our program. This is who you remind us of here. Are you a little Owen Carney? Are you a little bit more uh, 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 player X or player Z? All of that builds into us building a relationship and establishing where we're at. Uh, Brett, you mentioned J.J. Watt. Obviously, he's been in the news some with the situation in Houston, I'm curious. So, for people who maybe forgot, you know, he he was a two star guy who started out in the MAC, walked on, and then really, really blossomed in Madison. What do you remember looking back at? Where at what point did you realize? Oh my God, this guy may be the best player I've ever coached. When did that start to really? Was there a wow factor, an aha moment for you? You know, there's probably two of them, um, and it just goes to getting to know people. You know, J.J. grew a lot uh, in high school, from high school to college, and, you know, just physically grew. Um, uh, but he's got great work ethic. It comes from his mom and his dad. Um, 
and and I remember sitting in my basement uh, when JJ was on his official visit, and and uh, I was talking with John, his dad, and and uh, you know he's like, hey, he's going to be one of the best there's ever been, and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm like, dad's always got a chance to be a little bit uh, uh, overconfident in their son's abilities, and. I said, hey, we've had a lot of great players at Wisconsin, especially kids from the state. I'm sure they'll be a great one. And he talked to me. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, I'm not talking about just at Wisconsin. And he was talking about life beyond in the NFL. And obviously that's played out to be true. And I distinctly remember, uh, he goes, they're all going to be okay. But that one over there, and he pointed at TJ. He said he might be the, the smallest or, you know, right now and the youngest. He said, but in the end, he'll be one of the scrappiest. And, and it's exactly how that thing's played out. Um, and obviously Derek played for me as well. They're, 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 they're all, they've all been, you know, first off, they've been blessed genetically with a lot of great things, but they've been wired right from the, the time they were raised and born to, to be successful people. And that's easy to, easy to point it out. So those are two things that kind of stand out in my mind. And actually the, when TJ was getting drafted, I was still in the NFL and I just reached out and called his dad that night because I talked about the evolution of when I, we recruited JJ and, and, and Derek and TJ uh, about what those conversations and how much it became real. And now as a father, uh, myself, even though I have two baby girls, to have a dad that had that much confidence and belief in his sons um, kind, of, kind of speaks volumes to me about what people are all about. I'm curious, with that experience now that you had firsthand, did that ch- change a little bit of how you evaluate high school players in terms of like, what they may physically develop into or like how do you and, and you got to be careful you, you not everybody's going to turn out to be hardly anybody almost nobody's going to turn out to be jj watt so how do you factor that in from your evaluation i well obviously he gets a lot of um you know the attention because of what he's done since leaving but uh we had a lot of successful players uh, that were former walk-ons jared avadaris you know um ethan hemer uh brady ewing um uh Peter Kahn's, uh, I mean, all kinds of, well, Pete was actually drafted or was a recruited player, but a lot of guys that came into our program as, you know, developmental type guys and, and go on to have great success. I think that's probably the part I get excited now to be at Illinois because I think they've never really built the walk-on program here like we can and uh, have players from the state come on and have great success. But you, you can always say in, 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 you know, recruiting the words undersized, underdeveloped, and under-recruited are good words because they can literally all change overnight. Um, you want to get kids, you never know how big their physical is going to be, but you can have an idea. You can look at their, their aunts and uncles, especially on mom's side, figure out if they're going to get some more width um, and depth uh, and, and, and size. Um, you can also figure out how they're wired upstairs. If they're going to buy into, Hey, if I just do these things, what they're talking about, I can play a little bit faster before the snap, you know, and all, all those things factor into where we're at. Uh, we had a lot of projections, both scholarship and non-scholarship took a lot of guys, Chris Borland, when we took Chris Borland, he had zero Division One offers, but I knew after seeing him in camp for a couple of days, here's a guy that we can bring along in a short fashion. And I'm going to be honest, working with these guys right now the last five weeks, uh, there's some guys that I think right now we can literally change their lives in the next year, uh, just giving them a little bit better uh, a taste of football 101. I brought in a strength coach, Tank Wright, who's had a huge impact on our players already, and I think the effect it will have on Illinois football will be pretty good very fast. Last one for me, so – so for the listeners, we're on a Zoom call here. We can see each other. And as soon as it started up, I'm like, oh, no, I'm interviewing the Illinois coach. And there's a Northwestern Wheaties box in the background from from their 95 Rose Bowl team. Um, I know you're friends with Pat Fitzgerald. That that rivalry has been pretty one sided recently. They And they like to 
you know, they like to get they get a lot of mileage out of that Chicago Big Ten's team, uh, Chicago's Big Ten team slogan. Like, um, what, what's it going to be like for you to, to, to be rivals with him now? And, and how important is it to maybe, you know, claim back Chicago? Well, you know, uh, obviously, Stuart, you know this. I got a tremendous amount of respect for Fitz and what he's done um, even before I, I left uh, this league. And even when I was growing up, you know, he would uh, establish himself as a player, but then as an assistant coach and uh, tremendous respect. But they are obviously a, a Big Ten West rival and, and someone in our, our state that we're going to battle out every day. They got to do what they got to do, but we got to do what we got to do. Um, when I left uh, uh, Wisconsin, Fitz is one of the first people that reached out to me and Wish me luck. We stayed in touch all the way through this thing. Uh, just um, tremendous respect for who he is and what he is. And then he was one of the first to reach out to me once I got it. Uh, got the job here too. So I think the outside world looks at at coaches that know each other and rival against each other and and think it's a bigger deal than it probably is. But believe me, uh, you know from day one, I made our guys aware of and known here for us to get where we need to be. Um, you know, the, the Northwestern is a big big hurdle in our way to a Big West championship. Um, Last five years has been won either by Wisconsin or Northwestern, three three for Wisco and two for Northwestern. So it's easy to see for you to get to where you want to be. They're a big part of that. Um, so we got to continually stress that in our program, and we'll build on that every day and hopefully get to where we want to make that that uh, uh, rivalry more competitive and hopefully make it more one-sided our way in the future. All right, Brett, we have kept you far too long. I appreciate your patience. We appreciate you sticking with us. Um, it was great to have you on the Audible today and look forward uh, to seeing what you guys got going at, at Illinois. I think it's going to be, you know, I think Stu and I both talked about how we think it's 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 a really exciting move for certainly the Big Ten in general to have you there, especially given your pedigree and presence and the history that you had in the Big Ten. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, sir. Appreciate having me on. I know I got to say it. I mean, I got a response. ILL. <laughs> Appreciate it, fellas. You guys stay safe. All right. Thanks, coach. Bye. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Stu, uh, very interesting stuff from Bilma. And I think 
I wanted to kind of pivot off that a little bit. Before you went on vacation, uh, you had did your annual new coaching hire grades. Um, and in there, I thought there were some interesting, I agreed with much of it. There was some, a few that I think kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, I would ask you, so for people who haven't seen the article on The Athletic yet, uh, your highest graded Power Five coach, there was one coach you gave a A grade to, and that was an A minus to new Vandy head coach Clark Lee, who came from Notre Dame. Um, that's pretty much an alignment, you know, where I would think. I think that was obviously there's no guarantees in what a first year head co- first time head coach is going to do, but I thought that was good um, and on on the money. Uh, you had let's see. Actually, I actually had four of the power five, of the group of five head coaches were the A grades. Uh, Andy Avalos, Boise State, former Oregon quarter defensive coordinator. A. Blake Anderson, Utah State head coach. That's an A. That one honestly surprised me. I thought that was higher than I would have expected. Um, you gave Gus Malzahn an A minus, and you gave Charles Huff, the new Marshall coach, an A minus. Um, so tell me. Of all those people, who do you feel like has the best chance of being a huge success at those places? And almost all those jobs, by the way, um, with the exception maybe of Gus's at UCF, given his history, are what you would call probably not necessarily destination jobs. So tell me of this hiring cycle. Who do you think five years from now is a guy we're, we're, we're really raving about? Is this going to be one of those ones, right, where... We used to. I used to do the top twenty-five coaches, and you didn't have your own edition yet, and you would like criticize mine, but not offer your own. Like, are you hey, going to give your? Don't get passive aggressive on me. Don't get passive aggressive. <laughs> Look, I like the of, of your your um, a five a grade guys. Um, yeah, like the car, like the Clark Lee hire. I think it's a terrific fit. Uh, like the Charles Huff hire. I think it's really good. Andy Avalos, I think, is a good hire. Blake Anderson, I'm less. You know, I don't think it's a bad hire. I don't necessarily would say it was an A grade. Um, Gus, to me at UCF, we haven't really talked about this yet. Yeah, let's let's hone in on him because that was a hard, that was that one is one where I saw noticed a wide range of opinions in the comments section. Like some people are like, "How could you not give them an A plus? It's UCF, and they just hired a guy who took a team to the national championship game and 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 beat Nick Saban three times and whatnot." And then other people are like. Pfft. Like Gus Malzahn's offenses haven't been good recently, and um, he peaked in 2013. Like that's not going to work out. Uh, I gave it an A minus because I do think uh, it's a pretty notable hire, right? In terms of how often does a, a group of five school like that get a guy who's won at a high level in the toughest conference in the country? But I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous that um, we're going to see an extension of some of those mediocre offenses that, uh, you know, led to a lot of eight and five type seasons. Yeah. I I could see the hesitance on that too. Um, you know, because there's much talk about, I went back and looked at this, um, about as numbers at Auburn, because there's much talk about how, Hey, you know, they really want offense. They really want offense. Um, if you look at, it's not just like the last couple of years, if you look at where Auburn's offense was ranked the last five years 
uh, I'm sorry, the last six years he was in the SEC. These are the rankings. They ranked 8th, 10th, 10th, 6th, 8th, and 11th. Like, that's not great. Now, the question is, did did other... Did he kind of get figured out and people had a better read on what they were doing and he didn't adjust? Like, the other thing I, I wondered about was him talking about, well, I'm going to be the play caller definitively. I was like, well, you were the head coach. I mean, you could have made those decisions. It was it felt like it was like waffling back and forth. Um, like, I'm curious to see how it's going to go. I, I like some of the staff moves he's made. But again, to me, this is the best uh, opportunity group of five job in terms of you have a lot of talent he inherits a terrific quarterback in Dylan Gabriel I think the part that made it um you know I don't know what I would have graded that I guess I probably would have graded it somewhere like a B B plus because on one hand um I feel like that UCF got the better got a better coach than they just had like I feel like like I feel like in a way they've upgraded yet I don't know, you know, I'm kind of torn on, on on Gus as a fit there because whoever goes there should win big because it's UCF and this is how they're positioned now. Um, but at the same time, I also get why if you're Tennessee, I think it's hard. You just almost never see one SEC coach, one SEC program hire a guy who just got fired by another SEC program. And also Tennessee, quite honestly, is in worse shape than than UCF because of the potential NCA sanctions hanging over it and the shape the program's in. So I think in that regard, I get it. Um, it's I don't know. Like if if you were putting your prediction hat on, um, you know, three years from now, is Gus Malzahn have a have a top ten caliber team there? Oof, that's a that's a high bar. I mean, I know they did it recently, but you know, you know how hard it is to produce a top ten team at any Group of Five program consistently. Uh, but I think he could, at the very least, I I don't know why he couldn't do kind of what Sonny Dykes is doing at SMU. Um, you know, he has that that experience. He's going to be able to get. You know, you just saw he got um, one of Auburn's running backs transferred there to play for him. Like he's going to. The transfer portal, frankly, is a and Sonny Dykes was a little bit of ahead of the curve on this, but like, is, is if you do it right, I think a Group Five program can really benefit from the transfer portal. Um, you know, guys with SEC experience, I could see wanting to go play there. Um, I, I think he'll win. I don't know if it'll if he'll turn them into you know an annual ten win kind of team, but um, and 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 I mean in, in terms of Tennessee, though, I want to go back to that for a second. Tennessee boxed itself out where it, it, they couldn't have hired Gus Malzahn if they wanted to because they hired Kevin Steele first, who, who like was part of a coup to, um, to, to oust Gus Malzahn. But I actually thought that they should have considered him otherwise because he would have come there and, and there would be no drama for once at Tennessee. Like, it would be drama-free. Um, and, and I think that's another thing I like about the UCF hire there. He'll bring stability. You know, it, basically... Scott Frost was there, what, two years? Uh, three years. Two years? Three years. Two years, he's gone. Hypo, three years, gone. You know, springboard job. I don't think Malzahn would, if he has success, is going to be rushing to get out of there at this stage in his career. No, that's a fair point. Also, I do like, you know, they piggybacked AD hired 
Terry Mahajer had come from Arkansas State. I think he's a really good AD. And he didn't hire Gus at uh, Arkansas State, but he did work with him for a year. I think they kind of they overlapped. So, or not in a year, maybe like six months. But still, I think that part kind of bodes well. Um, a guy I would have given a higher grade, even though you had him as a B-plus, Kane Womack at uh, South Alabama. He did a terrific job as a defense coordinator at Indiana. Um, I think he is, to me, two of the two of the guys I would predict that I think will be big, big-time head coaches five years from now are him and Charles Huff. I just think that they both will end up, and I, you know, this is probably not what the schools want to hear, but they will end up at bigger jobs in Power Five not too far down the road. Um, you in terms get- of my Power Five guys, do you have any, so so anybody there that you're like, ooh, you really whiffed on that, Stu? Um, the two, the lowest grade you have was Josh Heupel at a C for Tennessee. And I think that, I don't disagree with that at all. That's probably what I would have had it. But I think the part that's maybe tricky to get into is just that the circumstances were really hard. You just probably, you were going to get shot down by a lot of people and you're going to get shot down. Like they got, they got turned down by a lot of DC guys, uh, defensive coordinator guys they wanted to hire just because of the circumstances there. So I, I mean, it's hard to grade it there. Um, you know, like um, Sark you had as a B plus. I think I probably would have been maybe not quite as high just based off of this. I mean, the last, um, you know, the last two jobs he had, he did a pretty good job at Washington. It was dreadful at USC. Now, obviously, you and I had him on the podcast, and, you know, it sounds like he's evolved and grown both personally and professionally from there. So if you're a Texas fan, you got to hope so. Um, Shane Beamer is, you have as a B minus. I'm interested to see how that goes. It's it, that's a honestly, you have Shane Beamer as a B minus. Jed Fish is a C plus. The new Arizona coach. I think it's hard. You know, these are they're all, especially if they're first time head coaches, they're all kind of blind picks. Um, you're just going off of what you had to feel. Um, we'll see. I might I might have reversed the order of those two. Uh, you know, you go C plus on Beamer. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's been a little bit rocky in the beginning of some of. Like, I like some of the staff he's put together, but there's been some moves where they have uh, had some things not go their way. Whereas, I think you see some of the staff. Jed Fish, you know, getting Don Brown was a big deal if you're the University of Arizona, you know, and I think his staff has hit the ground running. Um, and again, a little like Tennessee. You're Arizona. You have very limited, um, you know, you're not going to be able to get a lot of coaches who are interested in that job at that point. So I think given what their opportunity was, I think that was probably a a little better higher than that. But we'll see. Um, You know, towards that end, so I want to tie your last two things together. So you had an interesting question in your mailbag. and it was, you know, this is kind of ties into what we were talking about with Sark a minute ago. And uh, Trevor from Portland had asked you about uh, your overvalued and undervalued grades. And you talked about Tom Herman. And you gave it an A. And I got to admit, 
Like, I don't know if I would have given it an A, but I would have been around there, uh, A minus, B plus, you know, kind of thing. He didn't have a big body of work, but he was a very hot name at at uh, at Houston coming off there, especially after a huge first year, not so big second year. But um, from that experience, I mean, do you feel like this is all like largely a guessing game on how these guys are going to project or like as just as you do these grades what factors into your thought process yeah i mean i think that i generally have good instincts on this but sometimes there's somebody like tom herman was the hot coach at that moment everybody wanted him how could you not give texas an a at the time for hiring him um Right, he, he'd been there. He'd spent a lot of time in the state of Texas, not just at Houston. He'd been a GA there. He coached at Rice. Um, you know, so he'd spent a lot of time in the state too. And remember the chronology there. He, in 2014, he gets a lot. He's the OC at Ohio State. They win the national title, and he gets a lot of credit for it because he did it with third-string quarterback Cardell Jones. Then, as soon as he gets to Houston, first year, takes from the Peach Bowl, beats Florida State. Next year big wins over Oklahoma and Louisville. I mean, you couldn't, if somebody was going to try to poke holes in that hire at the time, I don't know what it would have been. So that just goes to show you the the crapshoot of this sometimes, that somebody like him didn't work out. I'll give you an opposite example. Indiana hiring Tom Allen. And if you remember, that was a, a kind of a weird deal where Kevin, uh, Kevin Wilson, they, they fired Kevin Wilson and announced Tom Allen as the new coach on the same day. Nobody knew anything about Tom Allen. He was a rather anonymous figure who would have guessed on that day that you know what that's the guy that's going to take indiana to their best their best season or best couple of seasons in a long long time it's a crapshoot it is i you know it's funny when, whenever i think of tom allen i had a conversation uh during the nff like time in new york the football foundation event where a lot of coaches and ad's and power brokers around the sport are and i was in a group and hugh freeze was in there and at the time uh Auburn was trying to hire a defensive coordinator and I you know I'm gonna I can share the story because it's it, like I'm almost hesitant to say it but it's I, I think it, it gives you a little bit of a sense of Tom Allen is um, Freeze made the point he was like I don't know who they're gonna hire but I know who they should hire and Freeze had been around Tom Allen at Ole Miss and he'd actually been around him at Lambeth when he was a first time head coach in college and started talking about Tom Allen and why he was so good. And I was just like, I know that name. I, at that point, I didn't know anything about Tom Allen. I think he'd gone to USF. I didn't know, like I, I, all I knew was what freeze had started to say about him. But the thing was, it was, um, it wasn't a sexy name. You know, he was, it was like kind of the inferred part. I think the free said was, was talking about was like, that's not going to be a big enough name for the boosters or whoever to want. And I think when you get to Indiana, and this is not meant as a negative, but I think it's like, hey, you know, to a lot of people, that's that's more of still a basketball school. And I think it was like, you know what? Let's take a chance on who we think is really good and, and who's substantive. And the one thing, and I am a, you know, huge believer now in Tom Allen after, you know, being around his program a little bit, doing some games, but also seeing how the players respond and it's like, to some degree, it reminds me a lot of, of what's happening at Iowa State with Matt Campbell. But it's like you have a guy who is really 
substantive and the players see it and it you know the other coaches feel it and i think that stuff works and where i'm going with this is sometimes it's hard for and this is not a knock on you at all but it's like hard for us in the media for some of those other guys like tom herman was pretty flashy in a lot of ways you know he had a he had a chip on his shoulder and it you know like he did do a really good job you know at i at ohio state and he did a good job at iowa state too i guess but when when you're talking about for the reason you're talking about no doubt was like um you know he had a huge role in them winning a national title right and for as much talent as ohio state has had come through the pipeline in the last decade that was the year they won the national title now the part maybe that would be like when you said how could you know like what could you see negative it's like well on the same side you know it was like they still like that was a team that houston which came into the year with a lot of hype and they they beat oklahoma who was a top five oklahoma team right out of the gate but then it's also like there was some up and down like they lost to navy they got blown out by smu and it wasn't like smu was that good at that point so there was you know looking in retrospect maybe there was a little and i think they lost um you know it's funny i think of it as i always associate this this game with cole cubula because it was like Cole was like kind of peppering him and grilling him before the game uh, when they played Memphis. It was really the day after Thanksgiving and they lost that game. And it was like, I guess, looking back, you could see maybe a little bit of of elements where that team lost some games you probably wouldn't have think they should have lost. And so maybe that could be part of the postmortem. But again, it's, you know, the ADs who make the hires and they have way more body of work and information an interview process to to uh, do these evaluations and do these hires they get it wrong a lot and so i think that's it's an interesting process and i'm curious to see how it all goes and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games visit directtv.com claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher availability of rsn's varies by zip code and package high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that Learn more at marines.com. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. They've been piling up for a little bit because I wasn't here last week. Um, I want to get to this interesting one uh, from Cody Hanley um, about Dabo Sweeney. He's curious, what are your thoughts on Dabo's inability to see the transfer portal as a resource? He seems to have a boomer mentality when it comes to utilizing the portal. He now has five players who have left the program uh, two going to programs that have a legitimate shot of seeing them in the postseason this year. He was also dismantled by a transfer QB and running back with Ohio State and Joe Burrow the year before that. And he continues to say things like, I don't have to go to the portal right now. I just have to go to the locker room. That is where our replacements are. 
How long before production decreases and he's forced to change course on his thoughts about the transfer portal? Okay, I'm going to read some numbers to you. You tell me what you think. These numbers, 2, 1, 4, 1, 2, 3. You know what that is? That's where Dabo's teams have ranked the last six years. Not recruiting <laughs> rankings. I don't. Let's not give too much of a shit about that right now. Let's just talk about where his teams have actually finished. So... You know, on one hand, I remember hearing this about David Cutcliffe, who has taken, who actually took a Clemson grad transfer quarterback a year ago, Chase Bryce. But it was like the the feeling you have in your room of like, look, we're not going to bring some other outsider in to compete with you. And on some level, and I don't know if that's entirely Dabo's philosophy. Maybe it'll grow. Maybe it won't. Alabama, you know, Landon Dickerson was a terrific transfer for them. They've had a few. Um, but I don't know. It's Dabo Sweeney. You could, on that front, I don't think you can find fault with why has he not taken grad transfers. And by the way, like, or why has he not taken transfers? Like some of the transfers he's had, you as a Northwestern guy are familiar with one of his former hype transfers. Like sometimes, you know, those players maybe aren't going to work out or you can't play them all. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Well, I think, first of all, I guess Clemson has reached that point where if they don't win the national championship, then there's something wrong. Um, and, and you know, everything you said about their rankings to this point is is a, a legit, like, shut-shut-door case. He's talking more about going forward. Uh, one thing, though, that's been the case for Clemson for a long time, like, I, I, we often get a question. There's another question I often get, which is, why aren't they recruiting, you know, why don't they finish higher in the recruiting rankings? Up until recently, like, they would be low top 10 or just outside the top 10. And the reason is they would take smaller classes. His program is very much uh, about how there's so little attrition, that they don't have massive guys enter the transfer portal. And they have a lot of guys who could, you assume, would turn, like Travis Etienne, who would have guessed he would come back for his senior year or... James Skalski this year coming back for a sixth year. Like, it's just a program that has a lot of, to this point at least, has had a lot of um, loyalty, I guess is the way to put it. But I think it would be naive to think that that's going to continue to be 100% the case given the, um, uh, you know, given the how much the transfer portal is becoming part of the sport. So my guess is he will reach a point pretty soon out of necessity where they will have holes on the roster that they'll need to fill. And by the way, a lot of guys in that transfer portal would love to come play for Clemson. But uh, to this point, you know, to this point, he just hasn't needed to. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, who takes them to, right? Like how many um, how many top 10 programs are, are taking more than one a year, right? Now, obviously LSU has had, you know, people know, People know uh, Joe Burrow was like the you know the poster child for a grad transfer who who flourished, and Cole Tracy was a small school guy who obviously was a huge huge impact guy for them. But um, you know I, I can't think of like Ohio State certainly took they've taken transfers um, and a couple of years ago. Uh, Ohio State took a transfer within the conference, Jonah Jackson. A name you have you, you knew about, quite honestly off the top of your head better than I did um, to help their offensive line. But again, I think that a lot of times 
you see some of these situations where it's roster imbalance and sometimes it's coaches who have taken over programs who are going to I'm going to supplement it this way by doing it that way whereas Dabo's been there long enough he you know, he has basically run everything kind of out of the way he thinks it's going to be holistically working out in, in large large res, uh, responses to seeing what matters most in terms of wins and losses it has worked out very well um this is an interesting one from Chad Justice in Raleigh, North Carolina. Stu and Bruce, my question is simple. What do you think is the second most important position in college football? I know you've been asked a variation of this previously, and I know answers have ranged from left tackle, defensive end, and running back. The one position not mentioned previously was wide receiver, and I was wondering if the last two years have changed your opinion, and do you have to have that elite first-round pick wide receiver to compete? It's a good question. Um... Look, and he's right. The last two years especially, um, I mean, I would argue Jamar Chase took over the national title game when LSU was struggling a little bit. He went up against some big-time defensive backs and just won. I mean, and I think there's something to be said. If you remember a couple of years ago, and our colleague Brody Miller did a really good story on this, LSU had had a problem. They had a young receivers and had a bunch of drops. And to me, few things are as demoralizing for an offense or for a team than it's third and long and, the, and a receiver drops a ball because it's like it's a wasted opportunity. Never mind if it's like if it's a it's a deep shot, you drop it and it's a potential touchdown. But I think that is a huge deal. Um, and so if you have guys who can win and so much of the game now is a passing game, um, I think it opens up a lot of other things for, for your quarterback, too, if you have a difference-maker receiver. And we certainly saw that with Devontae Smith even after Jalen Waddle went down. Uh, we've seen Al- Alabama really flourish because they have real special wide receivers and have had a long run of them, you know, dating, really dating back to Julio Jones. And then all of a sudden they, you know, got all, the, you know, one big-time kid out of another after another from from South Florida before they had this, you know, this past year. So I, I would say, you know, if you talk to a lot of pure football people, I think they would say, man, very few people have an elite defensive lineman. Um, but just thinking about it, and I want to take Aaron Donald out because he's the the guy in the NFL. But I w- to me, the most dominant defensive lineman we've seen in the last 15 years was Indomitian and Sue. And he made that team a top 25 team. Now, he didn't make it a, a top five team, but I'm not sure how much people can can name anybody on the offense he played on. But So I would say those two positions, either the dominant defensive lineman in the middle of the D-line especially, or because, I mean, at some point now, the thing is with the college game, you know, I remember hearing the stories where Chip Kelly's like, you're reading the nose tackle and you can do a lot of stuff, maybe to whether you're triple teaming that guy or really game planning for him. There are ways you can kind of try to mitigate that guy. I think it's the receiver because of the way the game is now played in college. I think that might be a good answer to this. I think, I mean, I do think that receivers are just in becoming so much more skilled and advanced and and can change a game like you said and so I could see the temptation to say that but I still think that 
to your point, I mean, I think the 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 Chase Young, uh, just you know, Joey Bosa, elite pass rusher can can wreck a game, can wreck another team's offense the way Devonte Smith can wreck another team's secondary. So, um, I could also make the argument, obviously, for a really you know like a elite offensive lineman to protect the quarterback. I mean, look at the Super Bowl, right? We saw the difference there, uh, how. Tampa Bay disrupted a really prolific offense um, by just owning the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, I guess it depends on when I'm crafting this team. If I'm not going to have that first round receiver, am I at least going to have really good receivers, like uh, second round receivers? Because if I can, then I trade that for for Chase Young. So in the past, in the past year, who would have been, would you have taken Devontae Smith if you couldn't have taken a quarterback? For like, if you're like, have a draft pick. Yeah, not a, not as an NFL team. I'm just saying, as college. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, he was the best player in college football last season, and combined with the fact that I don't know that there was that there wasn't that. You know, remember there was a few years ago where like the, the year with Rashawn Gary, and like there was a year where it was just like you you couldn't fit all the all American defensive ends you wanted to on a team. That wasn't the case this year. Just fluky thing. There wasn't. Not necessarily like those elite, elite pass rushers. I think Devontae Smith was definitely that guy this past year. Hi, Bruce and Stu. As a Utah Ute fan, I'm optimistic about 2021. Charlie Brewer, formerly of Baylor, is competing for the quarterback job. A loaded receiving core and a very good young defense. But what I am most excited about is for a healthy Britton Covey, who is going to be 24 years old. With the free year of eligibility due to COVID and Covey, planning to play out the final two years of his career he would theoretically be playing fall of 2022 at 25 years old my question is has there ever been an older player in college football that is from rick pieros in salt lake city uh i know the i know i don't know the answer to the ultimate question of this but i do know that there's been many players older than 25 yeah i mean britain's not unique in that regard obviously chris wenke won a heisman trophy at 28 i believe um after coming back after a long baseball career and i feel like there's always these kickers and punters who yeah who emerge i remember ohio state when they went to the rose bowl in in 2009 i was at this game against iowa and they won the game i think in overtime on a kick on a field goal from an m who a guy who had been playing in the mls um who was he i don't remember what his age was but he looked 35 so no, that part's not unique. What I do think is unique is I can't rem- So we're talking about guys who left college, you know, went to play baseball or another sport. Right. And came like back Zach many Von years Rosenberg- later. Zach Von Rosenberg was a really good punter for LSU like the last four years. He's 30. I'm pretty sure he's older than the guy who covers the team for, for <laughs> us, Bro- Brody Miller. Um, and now Von Rosenberg is off to the NFL, but he was... 30 this past season and he was not the oldest player in college football at, at one point there was somebody even older than him i think it was another specialist john um, hayes has just sent us a clip for the guy who clearly i assume has broken the record joe thomas senior 55 this is in 2016 played running back made an appearance at running back for south carolina state 55 Britton covey pretty young compared to that now where I think Covey is unique is that he's doing this over, like he he played a year, then he went on his mission, then he came back, then he got hurt and had to redshirt. 
So if he does play the next two years, his college career will span from 2015, where, by the way, his first game as a Ute was Jim Harbaugh's first game as coach at Michigan, 2015 to 2022. That I've never heard of. 2015. Now, because of the LDS factor, and obviously here now we're factoring the COVID extension part, um, I think that certainly adds to it. But I, I do remember like Taysom Hill was like had a long stretch just – you know, again, I'm sure there's players that we're not thinking of who went on missions um, where their, you know, where their eligibility clock is not moving. Um, but I think you factor in, you know, the baseball part. Like, like our our colleague Joel Klatt. I I don't know how old Joel would have been. Joel played like minor league baseball for a few years. Um, so I think you know you have guys who kind of um, you know have that that side of it too where they they were doing something else like you said chris wenke fit fit in that category as well can we get back to this one question because i want to um i do want to give mike davies a little credit here because he did some of the math um this question was about uh a couple of weeks ago about this the conference that would have the most former football players who turned into actors because um, I'd reached out to somebody at USC, and theirs is a hell of a, you know, USC itself would stack up. But uh, let me just read to you what Mike Davies wrote. Uh, hey, Bruce and Sue, following up on the OJ Simpson, Mark Harmon, and Joel McHale uh, answer, there have been a lot of college football players turned actors with Woody Strode and John Wayne, the earliest, then a peak in the 70s, and another peak in the direct-to-video action era. This I can't wait to if, hear. If not the Pac-12, the Big Ten lineup looks the best lineup to me. He mentions Fred the Hammer Williamson from your alma mater, who is in a lot of movies and was, um, you know, I definitely remember him. Alex Karras, who went to Iowa and was a great player there. And then I know he was on Webster and he was in Blazing Saddles and I'm sure some other stuff. Look at Bruce bringing out the IMDb. The, the, I didn't know you were so. No, I, re- I remember that. I'm not. A, All right. I'm not even on the IMDb part of it. Uh, Dick Butkus, obviously, he also was on was a on a bunch of shows uh, and a former great player. Bubba Smith. I remember Bubba mm-hmm. Smith, who was in Police Academy movies. Um, great player at Michigan State. Rosie Greer, um, who was a great defense, a great lineman in the 60s and 70s and is a Penn State product, also had some success. Now, a few of these other names that come up are not Big Ten related. Um, I want to, uh, you've seen these, so I think it'll help. But um, Terry Crews, he's obviously been in a lot of stuff. He played at Western Michigan. Jim Brown, legendary football player. Syracuse, he obviously has been in a bunch of stuff. John Matuzak, I I knew John Matuzak went to the University of Tampa. I did not know he went to Missouri, um, but he certainly was in some stuff. Burt Reynolds, as mentioned, Bill Goldberg. Some of the names he mentions here now are pro wrestlers who have pivoted in there. Dwayne Johnson, uh, Roman Reigns, Brian Bosworth. We meant he was mentioned in the question. Ben Davidson. Uh, here, this is a good one for San Diego State. Carl Weathers and Fred Dreyer both had really extensive um, acting careers. Merlin Olson, Ed O'Neill. Did you know Ed O'Neill from? I didn't uh, know he played football. Modern Family and, and the. I knew he played football. I didn't know he went to Youngstown State because I remember hearing the story about how he had a like he was in somebody's NFL camp. 
Ed Marinara, who was on Hill Street Blues and did a bunch of other stuff. I knew he was a he was a really good running back at Cornell. Howie Long. I have a buddy who was in the same movie. Uh, I think it was like Broken Arrow that Harry, Howie Long first was in. Dean Cain uh, was Superman, and he went to Princeton. That's a good one right uh, there. All right. So, um, so I reached out to Tim Tessalone, who's been at USC forever. Um, I and think asked since him, OJ uh, hey, played there, right? Oh, yeah. And then some. <laughs> so, um, Is he really so, going that far uh, back? No, I think he started in the late 70s. So, but, uh, so I asked him, uh, besides, I knew John Wayne. We talked about Matt Willig, who has been a character actor and a bunch of stuff. Um, but then there's quite a bit more. So Mike Henry, who was a, who was a tackle, he actually played Tarzan. Uh, Tim Rosovich was a name like you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was an All-American defensive end, also on the OJ team. Do you know who Patrick Muldoon is? Oh yeah, yeah. Patrick Muldoon. I was a tight end at USC in the mid '80s. Was on Melrose Place. Has been in a bunch of other things. Um, Alan Graff, who was he he was a offensive lineman and had been a stuntman and a bunch of stuff but also was actually responsible for a lot of like he was like a technical director i think or a technical consultant so a lot of football related scenes he probably you know helped staff um and then usc has a freshman defensive back sierra wright who is a big big recruit for them uh has done a lot of acting and modeling has been on it was in training day uh Two Broke Girls, and also in the upcoming 2021 movie where he plays the son of LeBron James in Space Jam, A New Legacy. So how about that? Uh, that's great that Tim came through with that. I knew he would. He, he knows all that stuff. By the way, you and I know this story well, but Will Ferrell uh, was an intern, an intern, right, for Tim at the USC, in the USC Sports Information Office when he was a student there. We should probably wrap there. We've, we've gone long. I'm okay with the fact that we went long. You know, it's been a while since we did like a super jam-packed episode like this. Um, and I, and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty excited right now, Bruce. I'm feeling pretty good. I think that um, I'm, I'm feeling really optimistic right now. You know, a lot of good news going on on the, on the COVID front for one thing. Like I think I can start to really feel like we're going to have a real college football season with packed stadiums and games that don't get canceled and whatnot. So we here on the Audible, I think uh, let, let's let's keep ramping up to the season. I think there's good, people were a little down on last season, but people are going to be really fired up about the 2021 season. And we're here at the Audible to, to bring you people like Brett Bielema and Mike Loxley. And we've got a couple other uh, special guests in the, in the offing. So... Um, keep coming back, keep subscribing, keep rating us five stars. We'll see you next time.